I had what I think a lot of women can relate to, like a fake smile. I seemed cheerful. I seemed outwardly stable. But anybody who knew me closely knew that sometimes I was literally hanging on by a thread uh, and upset with myself because life outwardly seemed so good and yet I was at times full-blown suicidal. Welcome to A Woman's Blessing Podcast. My name is Lynette Allen and this show is dedicated to honoring the strength and resilience of women. Over the past 20 years, I've held hundreds of sister circles and hosted some really deep medicine retreats where I've been really humbled to hear the stories of women, of how they've overcome really hard life situations. Women are so resilient and so, so brave, and this is the place we celebrate them. We develop courage and determination we never knew we had when we find ourselves in critical life moments and we pull ourselves through no matter what's going on. This show is about meeting the women who've done that and you'll be hearing their most personal stories to reveal how they got through, what exactly they did and where their strength came from in order to inspire you. It's really, really important to me to honor these life moments, the girls we used to be, the women we are now, and the women we are yet to become. And today, Tina Cat Courtney is with me. Hello, Cat. How are you? Hi, Lynette. I'm amazing. Thank you for having me. Well, I have to tell you, this is the second time we've done a podcast <laughs> because the first time we did it last month, it just didn't record at all and it smudged all over the place. So, this is our second opportunity, but I was thinking it's just a really nice, cool opportunity for me to talk to Kat again and take her time, which I really love doing. Uh, I met Kat online when I was reading her blogs and everything she has to offer. She is one of the most sincere, grounded, open, beautiful Irish girls I have had the pleasure to meet. She's also a coach, and she was the coach that I went to when I was transitioning from coach in a normal corporate world to medicine woman and that journey because it's difficult, it's hard, it breaks down everything you know about who you think you are, and she was right there. And the reason she was right there is because she did it herself. So she's going to talk to us today about one of the hardest times in her life which was realizing she had to leave one life in order to create another. So Kat, I'm going to open with you. Tell us where you were 10 years ago, a decade ago. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So it was actually 14 years ago that I first met the medicine. So I'll go to the time before then, where before I had had any level of awakening yet. Um, I worked in the corporate world, you know, kind of like you can relate. I actually was a video game producer for Disney and had a dream job, really, truly on paper. Um, lived in LA, had, you know, celebrity friends, had a very big life, but because of childhood trauma, because of uh, diagnosis of being bipolar, not understanding how to deal with my intense sensitivities and emotions. I had what I think a lot of women can relate to, like a fake smile. I seemed cheerful. I seemed outwardly stable. But anybody who knew me closely knew that sometimes I was literally hanging on by a thread. Uh, and 
upset with myself because life outwardly seemed so good and yet I was at times full-blown suicidal and it didn't make sense and uh, of course that just caused me to punish myself further. Uh, at the time that self-destruction looked like bulimia, very heavy alcohol abuse and recreational drug use that was also not at all healing. So that's where I was about 15 years ago. And I really, I felt pretty hopeless, honestly, because my diagnosis of being bipolar, I was told I'd never get better, that the only solution was pharmaceutical drugs that didn't feel good either that I refused to take. So that's how the journey began in my womanhood, my adulthood. So you were at a stage where you were suicidal, you were using recreational drugs badly, uh, diagnosed as bipolar. I mean... That's, that's pretty hard stuff. And also being told that you had no way out, that that was, that was it. There was no, nothing that could help you. Yeah, that's the worst part, <clears throat> is being hopeless, feeling like that, that's it. That's, that's what my life was going to look like. Now, I did a lot of like spiritual retreats, um, different things where I was trying to find a deeper truth. There was something in me that knew not to give up right? Of like, there's got to be, there's got to be a better way. Because I did have people around me, women as examples, my best friend is the perfect example that was genuinely happy and empowered. So I'm like, well, this is possible. Um, and I didn't give up. And that led me to uh, the jungle, <laughs> Amazon jungle, uh, when I was 30 years old, uh, to try ayahuasca for the first time, which I originally agreed to because it just sounded like a fun adventure. I mean, I was up for any adventure um, and I followed a boy, a beautiful boy that I loved very much. And he was like, let's go do this. And I said, sure. Um, I had no idea. 14 years ago, ayahuasca was not uh, in our popular vernacular. Nobody I knew had ever done it. I thought it was just going to be a fun ride. I was wrong <laughs> in the most beautiful way. Yeah. Um, I discovered as soon as I got down there, you know, it's interesting, long before I drank the medicine, as soon as I got down there and was connecting with the shamans, I felt all of my self-destruction and self-hatred just come to the surface. And I remember saying to my beautiful teacher who just passed last year, Howard Lawler, the first being that stood for me and that saw something I couldn't see in me. I remember saying to him that I didn't expect the process to begin before I drank the medicine. Yeah. <laughs> and his response was, you're perfect for this work. Trust me, dive in. And to this day, I feel like that was the best decision I ever made. I trusted him. Why not? Like the alternative was literally going home and self-destructing. Yeah, I, I totally see that. When I I first started working with ayahuasca I saw somebody who arrived and within an hour of arriving she was um, having all the same effects of ayahuasca and it was a very hot day and I thought well she's got heat stroke she should not be sitting tonight and I spoke to the shaman that we were working with and I said she's really ill I think she needs to not sit and I think we should take her to hospital and he came to see her and he said no she's in process and I said, no, she hasn't drunk it. She's, we haven't started the ceremony yet. He said, I know, but her intention is to drink tonight. And she has started that process. And I just did not understand that. That was, I was new to the, to the whole process. And I'm like, what? How, how does that even work? It's magical. 
but it is the power of our intention and the partnership with that deep soulful part of ourselves with the spirit of ayahuasca. She knows, our soul knows, so we're already yes. in ceremony. It's true. Yeah. So tell me what, what your thought processes were because um, here you are in that terrible situation. Your boyfriend says to you, um, come on, let's go to the jungle. And you're like, well, hey, okay, why not? You have no idea what you're going into. You get there. Now, I know from receiving people on retreats that they are rabbit in headlights. They sometimes don't even know how they got to our retreat. They just found themselves there. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. And I talk to them about, you know, the night and how it's going to run and how they're feeling. And they're, like, full of fear. So tell me what happened for you in that bit. And was there any part of you that was like, no, I don't think I want to do this? How was that? Well, the night before the first ceremony, a group of the participants got together and did an intention circle. And when it was my turn, I spoke the truth of how I felt about myself out loud really for the first time. And it was accidental. My boyfriend had never heard me speak anything like this. And all I said is, I hate myself. I hate oh who my God. I am. I'm so miserable. And I just said it out loud. And then I was embarrassed, right? About like, this is my truth. So putting that into the and field. And he hadn't heard that. Yeah. It was, it was like this moment of just really painful honesty about how I was feeling. And it was the truth. And my boyfriend was just completely appalled. And this is not the girl I love. I'm like, yeah, this is the truth of me. So wow. the next night, when it's time to drink the medicine, honestly, for the first night, I was pretty peaceful, because I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And it was deep and, and profound. But it wasn't until the second night, once I kind of knew the depth of which the medicine takes us into ourselves to see and feel these things, by the second night, I was utterly and completely terrified. That's when the fear right. took hold because I knew now it was not fun times on drugs. And yeah. I also had a sense that first ceremony, she really showed me of like, you know, the expression of having emotional baggage. She yep. joked that I had an emotional train full of baggage oh. and really showed me that it's, you know, it's a process of integrity, of feeling, of doing the work of acknowledging all of the trauma and energy that I was carrying. And that was good news, bad news. It's good news in that she actually, for the first time, was the first thing that gave me hope of, ah, I could feel better. Happiness is possible for me. But also the reality of it's a process. It's going to take a lot of work. And I am the only one responsible for that work, right? You know, we know that no one's going to do it for us. But when you have that awakening of my suffering is my responsibility, it's, it can be humbling too, of like, wow, this is a lot of work. But at least she gave me a taste of what was possible. So in that in that ceremony, you had a sense of what cat being happy could be like. Only that it was possible. I didn't really know okay. how, except for uh, the medicine was suddenly part of my life. And I was so grateful. Um, but she gave me just a moment of reprieve of like, wait a second, I'm not broken. You know, I'm no different than anybody else on this journey. And it is possible for me. And basically, she got me to commit to myself in that first ceremony, as well as helping me to release the first layer of toxicity, which felt so good. But she's like, do you commit to doing this, to doing this journey? And since the alternative was self-destructing, literally, I was like, yeah, okay. 
why not? Let's do it. And that's the first time I think I made a commitment to myself of like, you deserve to feel better. Let's do this. Oh, now this is really, really interesting because this is a thread that's coming through every single podcast I've done so far. I mean, like there've been hundreds, there've been seven. I think you're number seven. (laughs) In fact, it was you that said, Lynette, you really should podcast, you know? (laughs) And that's when I started to think, oh, could I do that? So this thread that's coming through, every woman I speak to is a decision. At some point, it doesn't matter what their circumstances are, they say, okay, enough. I am not doing this anymore. It could be sat on the sofa feeling like you don't even know yourself anymore. It could be looking in the cupboard for food for your children and realizing you don't have any and you don't have any money in your bank either. It could be absolutely anything, but there is a moment where you think, oh, no, 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 we're not doing this. And that I love to hear that because anybody can be brought to that moment, right? But we have to be pushed to that moment, yes? Yes, absolutely. That's like the love of the universe that helps us to create that pressure cooker where we finally had enough of being in misery, of feeling small, of being destructive. So yeah, there's that that moment that we all have in the shift of uh, I'm better than this. I deserve better. I'm committed. And you committed at that moment to ayahuasca. And she she really credits that, I think, when you take her seriously. If you don't take her seriously, she'll wipe the floor with you, right? Heck yeah. Even when you take her seriously, you're going to be like, (laughs) (laughs) but at least you're saying yes. Absolutely. I committed to her from the first sip. As soon as I felt the consciousness of that plant, I was totally in love and I trusted her. Like you are my therapist. You're my tool. This is my way out of the darkness. Oh, that's so beautiful to hear because I've, I've been there myself and I've, I've been there with countless other people who have had those moments too. So I, I understand how very, very, very special they are. So you have your first night, it's kind of peaceful and kind of nothing much going on. And then the second night, she kind of whacks you a little bit and says, this is your life, I guess, holds a mirror up, which is what I've seen Ayahuasca do, right? Hold a mirror up to this is your life. Exactly. That's exactly what she did. She held me responsible for all of the different choices and behaviors I was making in my life that were keeping me in a state of despair. So basically, she pulled the rug out from underneath me of being a victim. It's like, no more of this. You cannot blame anyone or anything externally for your pain and suffering anymore. And I knew that intellectually, but you know how she can give that to you with that mirror in an experiential way. It was terrifying. It was like all of my deepest wounds around, you know, fear and being vulnerable in the world and all of these things. And yet she reflected to me all the things like drinking and being around abusive people and all of the choices I had made that were completely not only not aligned with who I am as a soul, as a being, but also sometimes just outright abusive to myself. So she asked me the question of how is it that you think happiness can live in a vessel that is being abused? Like, okay. How is it that happiness can live in a vessel that is being abused? Yeah, they don't fit together. I was begging the world to feel better, and yet I wasn't doing the work to treat myself as a divine, beautiful being. Oh, and that was another thread that just happened because I had a podcast, the previous one, where the lady I spoke to, Melanie Syrett, she started to treat her body when she was bathing like a goddess bathing in milk. She started to pour love over herself. And that's what you're describing is 
is, you know, if you want self-love, if you want happiness, you have to begin with creating an environment for yourself of love and happiness. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. To claim it, not just to ask for it and cross our fingers and to hope it happens, Mm. but to step forward and say, I'm doing this for myself. So after that weekend, was it just one weekend in the jungle you had? The first cycle I did for, I was down there for a week. It was just three ceremonies. But that was enough to completely change my paradigm. Okay, so after that, you you come back home and presumably you have the same job, the same friends, the same boyfriend. Where did you start to pull apart from that and for that to really uh, integrate? I actually started that while I was still in the jungle because the day after my second ceremony, I was still in total hell of resistance because I wasn't accepting the change that was being that I was asking of myself. So I was on a boat ride down the Amazon in just excruciating pain, emotional pain. And Mm. finally, I felt the wisdom of like, okay, what's the first thing you're willing to change? Well, the truth of it is, I was well aware that the man I was with down there, although I love him dearly, he's not the right person for me. He was emotionally abusive. He was pretty narcissistic. So I went ahead and broke up with him in the jungle. I was like, we're doing this. Okay. I'm not waiting. Not necessarily the most graceful thing I could have done for him, but I stood for myself and started there. Well, you know, that kind of reflects the woman I know in you is like, you want to do something? Okay, let's start now. Let's do this. Yeah, why wait, right? And then the next completely. I I ran, at that time, I was actually running a video game company. I had left Disney and started my own video game company. And, you know, I knew that video games were not my passion. It's not, I was good at it, but I didn't like it. So on the plane ride home, I was like, okay, what do I got to do to create, what's going to be my new vocation? What am I going to do? But I committed to to giving up my company, giving it back to my partner. That was my next task to handle. It took me six weeks when I got back to Los Angeles, but it happened. So it took you six months to extract yourself from your company. So, you know, I love those sentences as well, because they're kind of like big sweeping sentences, you know, and then I just left my company. But how did that work financially? Like, how did you extrapolate yourself? But presumably you you had that money to live on. And then did you just, because I've done that, I've cut off my earnings before because I knew it wasn't right. And just said, well, I'm in the universe's hands, but this is not how I want to, how I want to earn my money right now. And it doesn't feel right anymore. So I, I cut it off. Did you do that? Or did you have a backup plan? All I had was a 401k from Disney that I cashed out. I wanted to have a backup plan, but it just wasn't coming together. And I knew the whole premise of you have to close one door before another one opens was going to be true for me. I was I was grasping at straws trying to figure out what I was going to do. And it just wasn't becoming clear. So I was like, I got to jump off the cliff. So I had enough money in the bank to maybe survive for four or five months and just made it my mission to figure out how to figure figure out who I was, you know, in yeah. terms of a woman that wants to make her, her way in the world from from soul, not from ego. And yeah, that was a big undertaking. I was scared to death, honestly, but also it was so exhilarating just to do it. That's so amazing. And what happened then? So then I decided the two things that I loved most in the world at the time was writing and food. So I'm like, I'm going to become a food writer. I'm just going to do it. Oh. Writing about food. And I was going around having amazing dinners and whatnot already. So I'm going to do it. And within a few months, the LA Times picked up my blog as the best food blog in the city. 
And no way. Yeah. And I got to have this life for a year and a half of traveling around and writing articles about, you know, gourmet dining and donuts and all kinds of things. But in the middle of that, I was also drinking a lot of medicine, going to the Amazon a lot, being in ceremonies a lot, trying to kind of just find what role that was going to play in my life. I was still soul searching, but I was much closer to who I was by being a freelance writer, by having more freedom. Because what I was discovering is that is the most important thing to me personally. As a woman connected to her soul, I knew right away, I want to be free. I cannot work in an office. I cannot like have a structured regimen kind of life anymore that was sucking my soul. So at least the freelance food writing opportunity allowed me to discover that flexibility and freedom was far more important than a big fat paycheck. Mm, Yeah. And I have that. We have discovered that that's more meaningful and the money comes and goes and it's not the stability of the corporate world, but no. I would take that, the the ebb and flow over the structure and the just kind of the, the lack of freedom that that world requires any day. I'm much happier on this side. Yeah, I think when you decide to take responsibility for your own income, I mean, I, I did that again many years ago. It was a, a decision I saw I was um, organizing conferences at the time in a hotel. I was 24. I saw our secretary come in. We had a group secretary in the team. She came in the office literally white, sat down like she'd heard the worst news ever, and it turned out she'd been made redundant. And in that moment, her world just crashed apart. She did not know how she was going to get another job or what she was going to do. And I looked at her, the, the pain that she was going through and the shock and that somebody else could take that away. In that moment, I decided, yeah, no one is ever going to do that to me. I'm going to be responsible for my own paycheck. And that was 22 years ago. And I left that job. (laughs) And I have never had a paid job since, you know, for somebody else. I've always brought in my own money and sometimes it's been sparse and sometimes it's been beautifully manifested from somewhere and and comes in uh, buckets and then it just goes, nope, we're just going to give you a rest for a while. That's a sense of owning your own purpose, which is what you're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, this whole process of healing is really about self-discovery, right? Of finding mm. like what really brings us joy of where we feel most authentic. And for some of us, that is being a high-powered executive and working in that world. For some of us, it's being free and independent. And and that's where you and I land in a really authentic place. So mm-hmm. I cracked that code early on, which I'm really, really grateful for. Um, there were many other things that took me a lot longer. And I'm obviously still working on lots of things and always will be. But my journey after kind of leaving the corporate world of cleaning up kind of my circumstances, you know, no more abusive relationship, no more job that made me miserable. That was the easy part, honestly, because those transitions were really temporary. The hard part was digging deep into the core cause of bulimia and of my emotional instability, which honestly, I didn't really try to address right away. I was like, I can't do it all at once. So let me handle my circumstances, do a little like adventure, soul searching, and then I'll start digging deeper on the issue with bulimia and especially the alcohol too. Those were the two things that were really sticky. So you start being a a writer, a food writer, 
and you're still doing more and more ceremonies, which is cleaning and cleaning and cleaning your psyche because I know how it works like that. How is your happiness level as you move through those months? Is it slowly rising? Yes, but slowly being the operative word. I have moments of total bliss and like, I can do this. And then back to the darkness. But I now know that's the process. I mean, so, so many of us want desperately for there to be a cure to our misery, to our suffering. It doesn't work that way. You know, the, the, I've learned the sacredness of feeling sad, of feeling angry, that these emotions that we try to get rid of, they're our teachers. And the medicine wasn't going to let me off the hook for that, of trying to approach her of like, hey, can you not have me feel these things? And her answer mm. was, no, I'll have you feel them even more deeply if you're in resistance to them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So I had to learn to be human, basically, and, and to undo yeah. the programming that I was broken. I'm not broken. None of us are. We're just actually, at least in our cultures, not really taught how to feel our emotions, that it's safe, that sadness and anger and fear and all of these things are, are part of what we get to experience here. So the medicine just kind of slowly but surely, and all the other things I was doing in my life actually, was training me to, to be expansive enough that it's okay to have these emotions and to, to let go of the idea that there was ever anything wrong with me. Mm, I think that's a really big thing. What is wrong with me? We say to ourselves, what is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And that we're not broken. There is nothing we can't do. Totally. And yet... What makes ayahuasca so powerful with that is that I would have agreed with that statement 15 years ago on an intellectual level. Yeah, 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 Mm. yeah, I'm not broken. But I didn't feel it was true. I was still Mm. walking in the world as if it was true. And so every time I meditated, I worked with the medicine, I did a nice thing for myself. I chose to not throw up my meal. Every single time I made that choice, I was flexing the muscle of saying, I'm worth it. I'm enough. I'm okay, I'm strong, I'm lovable. Like all the things that I wished I could just inherently know, I discovered I had to bring that truth in with every kind gesture to myself. That was the process, still is, by the way. So that was like, it's interesting because bulimia was something you were suffering from and there you were eating in all these beautiful restaurants, writing for them and then struggling not to throw it back up, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I had a personal trainer. I lived in LA. I had to look the part. I had to be the LA girl. So I would eat these decadent meals and and know which restaurants had private bathrooms where I could throw them up. That's totally true. Oh my gosh, darling. Wow. That's huge. And so to get through that, when you're on this process of healing... You find your, I'm just kind of working out what you might be doing, right? You, you have this meal and then you, you sit somewhere and you, you quieten your mind and go, I am worth this. I am keeping this. I am nourishing my body. Is that the type of thing you would need to do after each meal? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, ayahuasca gave me this technique and I use it to this day when I need to feel this. I just call it mirror talk. She's like, why don't you do this? When you go into the bathroom and you're wanting to throw up, before you do it, instead, take a moment, look in the mirror and say, you're beautiful. 
Even if you're overweight, you're perfect as you are. You're gorgeous when you hide and lie. You're perfect as you are. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. And she's like, and if you still need to purge after that, well, then do your thing. But first, give yourself that pep talk of like, wait a second. Are you sure you want to do this to yourself? Come from a place of you're not enough. And that over time started working. Like I had less and less of an inclination to want to throw up whatever I just ate or to do really anything destructive, have a, you know, over, over drink or get lost in the critic in my head that wanted to say negative things. That mirror talk is still a gift that I use when I just need to feel love for myself. And when you look at yourself in the eye like that really deeply in the mirror, it's so powerful. Mm, completely. Completely. I I just love your raw honesty here because for anybody that does a job like this, and you've been doing this for a very long time, I've too have been in the media for a while now, a good few years, and have attracted lots of women, particularly thinking, well, you know, it's okay for you because you're perfect or, well, you know, you've kind of got life sus, so you don't have to worry about any of this. And And that's not true because every one of us has our own things to deal with. And to hear you speak so raw and openly means that other women who are hearing this will think, oh, it's not just me. It's all of us. We all have a critic and the critic has different things to say for each of us, but we all know what it's like to feel that vibration of being less than, in part because we're growing up in a culture that holds a perfection as the ideal that it's not attainable as women, what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to act, both as a virgin and also as a sexually promiscuous, like sexy being. We're supposed to be everything, and we're doing our best, mm-hmm. and our best is enough but we need to really tell ourselves that both to ourselves and to each other of like hold ourselves in that sisterhood of like, you're perfect as you are. It's unconditional love. We're not taught that. So we have to learn that most of us. Yeah. And I think like you said, when before 15 years ago, you would have said, um, you know, I'm not broken. And that would have tripped off your tongue, but you didn't believe it. There is a part of women that I think we have to really seep into ourselves and get through what's on the front of magazine covers and get through what's coming out in the media and get through all these horrible things that are said about celebrities and politicians that their thighs are too big and and what was she doing with that haircut and we have to get through all that and know that we are here for a higher purpose and we have we have a soul and we are beings and we are already exactly perfect aho yeah but that's the word That's the work of falling in love with ourselves in a world that tries to tell us that who we are is not enough. That's an intense ask of women in particular. I think we deal Mm -hmm. with that cultural ideal in a really profound way. But, you know, the contrast of that is as as each of us begin to fall in love with ourselves as we are, it's so delicious. It's so worth all the effort. I actually am grateful that it's difficult work because I appreciate the space that I'm in so much more deeply now than I would have if I hadn't gone through that hell of self-destruction, of not feeling Mm. enough, not feeling I was worthy. Yeah. So let's go back to the medicine a little because... 
you start your work in the jungle and then you go back, you give your boyfriend up and your, your job and then you do the food writing and you're still suffering with bulimia, but you're coming through because you're being given bits of information by Mother Ayahuasca to help you on that way. Where would you say in your journey things really started to even out and you were like, oh, okay, I think I might feel more balanced now. Where did that start to happen for you? It was about two years in, honestly, that that I felt like, I think I went back five times in those two years, so say about 20 ceremonies okay. um, and lots of meditation and things like that to enhance it. But it took me a little while, getting better and better. But it was, it was two years in that I gave up alcohol altogether. I was like, you know what? I don't need to drink anymore. Like, and felt really empowered in that. Still bulimic, by the way, but not as bad. Making progress, okay. feeling good about that. Um, but most of the other toxic things in my life were gone by then. I was building amazing friendships that I still have today, like really beautiful, intimate connections. I was really doing good work and it was showing up in my life. Um, and I was getting more and more called to the medicine. I started wondering if, if a white girl from Montana could actually work with her, if that was at all possible. Although it was terrifying to think about, I was allowing that into my field as a possibility that, that there was enough self-worth in me that had been built up that, that if my soul was asking for that, I was willing to explore it. Okay. And that is a, is a beautiful journey. I know some of that story. So tell us what happened because you were told by uh, one ayahuasquero to get out of town. That was never going to happen. Yeah, I was. Yeah. And, and he was wrong. <laughs> Yay. Um, <laughs> I, first of all, I thought, well, I wonder if anybody is doing this work in the U.S. where I was living at the time of like, do I have to travel to Peru? It was the first time in two years I'd even considered that maybe I didn't have to go to Peru. Because remember, this wasn't very popular back then. Yeah. Yeah. And I decided to just, just ask the medicine of like, Hey, if it's your will that I get to know you better then bring me somebody closer to home. And that took about three months. I got a phone call from a friend of a friend of like, Hey, there's somebody who lives in, you know, maybe a, a short plane ride North of me. Would you like to go work with him? And that kind of blew me away that I'd made the request of her and just kind of forgot and let it go. And it happened very quickly. And that person was the first person that I ended up training with. I didn't stay with him for very long because it, he, he wasn't traditionally trained. He kind of was doing his own thing. And I really, really, if I was going to do this work myself, I wanted to learn to do it in the traditional Amazonian indigenous kind of way. But it gave me this big hope that it was possible that, that I could potentially follow this path. So I let that person go. And as I like yep. to say, I kissed some frogs for a while, brought in other mm -hmm. facilitators I kept finding, and none of them were quite right. And, and some of it was pretty crazy and chaotic, because as you know, there's some medicine workers out there that are not aligned with love and truth and all of the stuff that we wish healing circles represented. And, and so I, I had to learn a lot about discernment, a lot about the abuse of power, and that it's been, it's still a wild ride in that respect. But then mm -hmm. I met the man who would be my teacher. And he did, as you said, when he first heard me ask, can I be your apprentice? He called me a bimbo and told me I couldn't hack it and just kind of laughed in my face. <laughs> he called you a bimbo and said you couldn't hack it. 
That's correct. Yes. I mean, yeah. how wrong is he? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the first time a man had misjudged me. And so I kind of took it in stride, but I let it go. And a few months later, he called me and basically said that the medicine kept saying my name. And would I take him, would I take up the offer of being his apprentice? Which, wow. Yeah. Just wow. <laughs> and I love how this all starts to fit together because when you move, like I, I believe so strongly in universal forces that when you move towards something or make a decision towards something, people get put in your way. And then with the help of like in, get put in your way in a good thing. I mean, as in, you know, here's some help, here's some help, here's some help. But then with Mother Ayahuasca on your side also, I think you are put in positions deep in ceremony where you are a completely open channel, which means that you are able to hear and see and receive those universal forces at play without your blinkers on. Would you say that was right? Absolutely. Completely resonate with that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I love the poetry of how this came to be for me because so much of what I was working on is stepping into self-love. And this gentleman who, who misjudged me forced me to step into the space of I am worthy and I'm not going to mm -hmm. accept your reflection. And it worked. I mean, it was the medicine working right there for me too, of saying, you got to claim this girl. It's not going to just land in your lap. Yeah. So you worked with him and how are you at that stage? Are you feeling in your personal life that you have a sense of balance, happiness, freedom, financial stability? You know, tell me where you are at that point. Closer to all of that, but certainly not in a in a kind of grounded way. I was still chaotic in some of that. Um and so what happened is that the apprenticeship started, it just involved me being in a lot of ceremonies. I was suddenly going from drinking every three to four months to drinking every three to four weeks. And sometimes in many, many, many ceremonies in a row. And boy, did that kind of work just kick out any of the remaining self-destructive behaviors, uh, at least on a large scale. It was in the first year of the apprenticeship that I healed the bulimia because I got to start experiencing okay karma of abusing myself in that way yet trying to study being a healer that just doesn't go together so yeah. I really had to dig deep and let that go and and I remember the ceremony where I knew I had healed it I'd followed her specific instructions of, of how to play the ceremony out it involved taking multiple cups of medicine and a really intense purge and when that purge released I knew I was done with bulimia and this magical wow happened after that where I didn't want to throw up anymore. I just didn't want to do it. Uh, and it's been the same ever since. I'm so grateful that that, that lifted because that was the big thing that just wasn't going to fit in the space of trying to mm. study healing art. Yeah, that's so nice to hear. Because mm -hmm. I think when, when you come around to those kinds of experiences, you have so much behind you already that says, I'm, I trust this and I know myself, I know my intuition, I know what's just happened to my body. There's no question about that. None. And yet the primal urge to do those things, I mean, it's so humbling how strong it can be. But it's good, lucky for me, it wasn't stronger than my commitment to myself, basically, and to the medicine. I was so, I'm so committed to her, it was from the beginning that, you know, I couldn't keep with any integrity bringing that into my experience with her. Because 
it had to give eventually. And so it took a few years. That's okay. I think that's really beautiful that this, uh, this whole plant medicine is not a quick fix. It's not a magic pill. There is work on both sides, like you're given help and advice and support and a mirror to what you're really doing in your life. But outside of ceremony, you have to rethink habits and patterns and how do I do this differently? It's the integration, which is also, of course, another key part of your work. Absolutely. Actually, the integration, I think, is even more important than what happens in the ceremonies because it's what we do with these peak experiences that happen in our lives that matters. You know, we can have the biggest aha moment download of insights of our lives. But if we don't do the work of bringing it into our daily habits, then it just becomes something that goes on the back burner. And we just kind of remember fondly, rather than get to Mm. experience. So the integration is is really, really key. So to people listening right now, who are going through any kind of healing, or trauma in their life, or any addiction, and they are wanting to find a different way. They might have started using plant medicine. They might be thinking about it. They found themselves their way to this podcast. What would you say to them about the process to expect? I describe it as a fractal, that what we are doing is becoming more conscious so that we can make better choices. So for for people, like, let's just use the example of bulimia. You know, there is no quick fix that suddenly, you know, that we've had a miracle cure. Instead, what happens when you work with plant medicine, or you're on your spiritual journey in any way, is you expand and get more awareness by doing things that are out of love. So you drink plant medicine, because you want to feel better, you meditate, you go to spiritual retreats, you do all of these things out of a space of love for yourself, which exposes more of the non love, right? Any of the destructive behaviors we're doing, any of the trauma that we're holding on to our in our body, And we're given these opportunities to release and we feel better. But I call it a fractal because what happens is we will come back around to these behaviors again. The universe is testing us out of love of like, okay, where are you with the bulimia now? You've just had a difficult week. Maybe you lost your job. My kitty cat died or something happened. It's like, now, how do you want to treat yourself in this space? Sometimes we're able to choose a better decision than bulimia or destruction. And sometimes we're not, and that's okay. It's just an opportunity to see where we're at with our process. It's so, so Mm -hmm. important to me that we know it's that relapse, that going what we perceive to be backwards, which is just an illusion, that these things are going to happen for most of us because healing is a process. And the most important thing we can do is if we find that we've fallen back into old habits to celebrate the part of us that has awakened to it rather than chastise the part that fell prey to it. So you treat awakening as a celebration rather than you're you're forcing yourself to be perfect. It doesn't happen, right? It's like we got to allow ourselves to go through the process. And I believe we came here as humans to experience being human, which is to experience uh, gluttony and uh, greed and uh, selfishness and to experience all this stuff and to experience the taste of things and the, the feel of things. And so when we then try to come into balance rather than an overwhelm of one or the other and we relapse there's this part of ourselves that said oh I'm so stupid why did I do that and then you just 
think, well, I've started drinking one glass of wine. I might as well finish the bottle, you know. But life is not doesn't have to be like that. We don't have to be like that. We can appreciate, well, I, I know better now because I'm noticing this right now. And that is good enough in that moment. I'm just noticing what I'm doing. I completely agree with that. I love that so much. The most important thing is to bring our awareness into what we're doing and why we're choosing it, not to control every action and to try to be perfect. But, you know, ayahuasca taught me that of like, darling, if you're going to go throw up, ask yourself why. What are you hiding from? Really, what is what is the core reason why you're doing this? So she wasn't telling me what to do or what not to do, but to bring as much of my awareness as I could to the choices that I was making. And that's that's something that I still bring today. As And when I do anything, if it feels like there's a level of resistance to it, I will ask myself, wait a second, why is it that I'm choosing this? It, awareness is what's important, not the action itself. Yeah, and when you go to do a, a habit, and you go to repeat a habit, why am I doing this? What is this giving me? Like in this moment, what do I feel I need that I'm missing that I need to do this? That's a really different conversation. Yeah. And to add to that, the, the way that I gave it to me is to ask what part of me wants this. For example, if I would reach for a, for a drink, an alcoholic drink, she's like, ask yourself, is it the part of you that wants to escape? Is it the trauma inside of you that wants this? Or are you celebrating? Are you doing this because you want to celebrate some aspect of yourself? Same action, totally different intention. So when I brought that back into the space, I quit drinking for three years. And then I brought and I allowed myself to consciously choose whether or not I was going to have a glass of wine. Do I always get it right? Heck no. There are some times where I'm like, I want to escape. And I, I let myself. That's okay. I can claim that. All I ask of myself is try to be really honest as to why I'm choosing the action that I'm choosing. And honesty with yourself, because you don't have to be accountable to anybody or anything. It's just honesty with oneself, yes. Kind of the biggest thing that we crack in terms of being aware. If we cannot be self-aware, we can't be aware about the universe either. Like it starts by really being brutally honest with ourselves of of why we're doing the things we're doing, why we're choosing what we're choosing. It's so, so, so critical in this path. I love this so much. I love all of this so much. Um, I think for me, when I've been integrating, I'm also a, a fairly natural writer. And uh, when I've been integrating since my big journeys with ayahuasca, I have been writing and that has been the most incredibly healing part for me is to get it out and write it down and to see it in black and white. And that's really helped for me. What other modalities do you think people can use for integration? Oh my gosh. Well, it, first of all, like you're speaking of, of being able to recognize what is your outlet for expression. So mm. all of us have different different superhero powers with that. So you can integrate by painting what you feel, by talking what you feel, by writing what you feel, by singing, by moving, anything that allows the energy to move and to communicate like from your core is helping to integrate the lessons. Um, one of my favorite things that ayahuasca gave to me around integration is something I call the self-care game. She asked me to make a list of each and everything I consider self-care. And there are 
the obvious things of meditating and working out and doing yoga and things like that. But over the years, my list has, has included like heart to heart talks with good friends, bubble baths, buying flowers for myself, time in nature. And what she asked me to do is just spend 30 seconds at the end of every day and check off all of the things that I did. And what that does psychologically is over time, you start getting a really, really deep sense of what it feels like to make yourself a priority. And of course, what it feels like to not make yourself a priority. And psychologically mm. speaking, your mind will start getting in on the game after a while of like, hey, we have 15 minutes. Let's go for a walk in the park. Let's go have an extra glass of water. Let's do something that makes us feel productive and loved. And every act of self-care that we do helps us to integrate these beautiful spiritual truths that we're trying to embody. I love that so much because I, I found myself doing that. You know, when I've just had uh, a meeting with somebody or when I've had had a really exciting conversation with somebody with lots of possibility, when I've held a ceremony, when I've done any ritual at all, I take myself away because I know I have to recalibrate my energy and I meditate. Sometimes I take cacao into the space just for me and sometimes I just do it without that and just hold that silence and listen to the birds. But I think to understand the time where you think I'm a bit fizzy, I'm a bit too excited, I can't quite focus, my concentration has gone, I need to just recalibrate. That for me has been a really incredible part of integration as well, learning how to meditate. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? The expression that ayahuasca gave me around that, I love this so much. Is she's like, make sure you balance doing with being. She calls it the doobie 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 dance. <laughs> that we cannot just be in the state of action. We have to be with ourselves in order to integrate all of these wisdoms, all of these things we're doing. And that's what you were just describing of, of realizing when it's been too much doing and it's time to just sit and be and ideally in nature, but certainly in silence, just to be with yourself. Uh, it's so important. And I, I've even written about that. I've written in my book about how to be on your own, how to hold your own space, how to collect stones out of the garden and make patterns of them arrange those stones and flowers and leaves and pine cones in a way that makes sense to your life right now like you know what does my life look like if I was to arrange it on the floor in front of me and all of that is just layer upon layer upon layer of self-love of recognition of appreciation of letting tears flow of heartbreak of of allowing yourself to be human in that moment and allowing yourself to come into balance with you that allowance is really magical right the spaciousness that we cultivate to let ourselves be human to yeah. feel deeply to go through the whole process. I love what you just described. Well, I love everything you've just described. So I asked three questions at the end of my podcasts, which are really important phases, I think, of women's lives, which is the girl we used to be, the women we are now, and the women we are yet to become. So in order to honor and celebrate you, the girl you used to be, what would you say to that girl today? 
I would ask her to do a better job of enjoying the ride. I would really want her to know that she's perfect, that all of this programming that comes at her from every avenue is just fear, is just other people's pain and wounding. And if she could just know that everything is going to be okay, that the process that she's in is actually divinely orchestrated, she could actually enjoy it a bit more, play more, love herself more. I love that, that every experience she goes through is divinely orchestrated because it so is, right? Absolutely. I signed up for the ride of being bulimic and alcoholic and bipolar and all of it. I asked for this on a soul level, and I wouldn't give it back for anything. It's precious. So if I could know that as I was going through that process, that would have been good information. Yeah, I'd say (laughs) you chose this. Um, Livy, the other day, I'm not known in our household for being a very good cook. I have to say my husband, Mark, is the better cook out of both of us. And I burnt something for her. And she's like, mummy. And I said, now, listen, you knew when you came into this physical body that you were coming to a mum who could not cook. This is your fault. (laughs) (laughs) You chose this. Own it. I love it. Own the fact that your mother burns things because she forgets things are on the hob and she walks away. You knew I was doing this. You visited me before you came into my body. Don't tell me you did not know. And this is part of what makes you awesome, by the way. So, yeah, I support that. (laughs) And the woman you are now, what would you say to the woman you are now? Um, oh, I would just, you know what I would say, and I will say is that I'm proud to be the woman I am now. And that it's such a joy to have cracked the code that the more that I am proud and own the woman that I am, the more I can be that mirror for the sisterhood. And so that we can all be proud of the women that we are in any stage of our life and support each other the way women are supposed to instead of competing. So I'm Mm. super proud of that part of my beingness that has been able to support my female tribe and myself in this way. Awesome. And finally, do you have a sense of the woman you are yet to become? I know that she is embodying more of the messenger about ayahuasca and plant medicine and consciousness as a whole. The woman that I am becoming is embracing more and more the work of of shadow. And although that's the scariest work there is, and there's a part of me that recoils even when I say that of, ah, uh, I know that, that that's my mission is to continue to speak and assist in people going through the bulimias and the alcoholisms and all of the things that I've been through so that, you know, more people can recognize that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You are an incredibly special person to me. You are an incredibly special person to the, the people that sit in your ceremonies. And we have yet to sit together. We have yet to make that dream come true. But my goodness, I cannot wait for that time. So thank you so, so much. Sweetheart, likewise. I can't wait until our physical beings get to play. But until We've never then- met, have we? We've, no. I feel like you're my sister and I've never met you. You're, you're a voice to me through a machine. <laughs> Yeah, well, in this lifetime, we haven't done it yet. I'm pretty sure we have in the past, but we have that to look forward to. (laughs) We certainly do. I'm going to try and make that happen. 
If you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to dig deep into your resilience and find your true power, I would really love to hear from you. Because when women stand up and tell their stories and they are as raw and real as this beautiful woman was today, we give hope and inspiration to women who are struggling right now in this moment. And we need a whole lot of real honest conversations to let us know that we are held we are heard and we can be inspired. When women celebrate their own courage and honor their stories, we give permission to other women to do the same. Dig deeper into your own self-discovery, check out our hideaway retreats, our secret coaching calls and divine rituals to get you back on the road to your highest life purpose at www.awomansblessing.com. And from me and from Kat, thank you so much for listening right to the very end. We send you all our love and we hope you have a beautiful, beautiful day.